With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of What Came Next is sponsored by Kitsch. What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Tara Newell is a powerhouse victim and animal advocate whose brave journey was the subject of Netflix's Dirty John, among many other productions. I am deeply honored to chat with my friend about what came next for her after her tragic attack, as well as the work she's done to educate other trauma survivors since. I think a loved one would view me as caring, kind, probably a bit emotional, an animal lover. Animals have been my way to find support because that unconditional love. I do a little side dog walking, sometimes house sitting for dogs, certain dogs though. With my PTSD, I just gotta make sure that I can handle certain types of situations still. As much as I love dogs, if I'm dealing with a barking dog constantly 24-7, then that's going to be triggering to me a little bit. My sisters and I, we're just close-knit family. My mom is very close to me. I call her probably three times a day. (laughs) She supports me a lot of the time, but I also am very independent. I love my mom. My mom's a good, kind-hearted person. My mom ended up marrying a psychopath, not knowing he was a psychopath. To her, it was the love of her life, in a sense, because he love-bombed her and he did all these things to kind of get her feeling like this is the one. No one's ever treated me this well. What these people do, these con artists, these narcissists, the love bomb to get their victim engaged into the relationship. My mom was trauma bonded to him. I want to point out that there's different trauma bonds. You could go through a trauma and then be bonded to someone. You can also be trauma bonded to someone that has been through a similar situation and now you're bonded to them because of your trauma. Or someone could actually be an abuser and toxic person and get you bonded to them and give you trauma. There are seven stages of trauma bonding. 
The first one is love bombing, where he is doting on her. He's telling her how wonderful she is. He's giving her her smoothie every day. He's carrying her purse for her. He is just being the man of your dreams that you want. Then there's the second cycle, which is the trust and dependency, where you start to depend on them for this stuff. He gets me my smoothie every day. So now you're dependent on him making your smoothie every day. He makes your life so much easier. And I'm just speaking of he and she as my mom and my stepdad. This can go towards any gender. This person may be even getting into your finances, helping you out that way. Maybe you get married right away. My mom, she got married two months into the relationship. And so now that's her significant other. At the end of the day, she was taught that a man and a woman, you don't break up, even though she's been divorced, she really wanted to not get divorced. He also started to isolate her from her kids so that the only thing she had was really him. And this creates the trust and dependency also. The third stage is we get into this hypercriticism where they gradually start criticizing you. They blame you for things and become more demanding. In this stage, even though my mom wouldn't admit it at times, he is criticizing her weight. He's criticizing her looks. He starts to maybe make comments about things she does and guilt trips her for doing these things. He may be like, I feel bad when you go and see your kids. I feel bad when you go and see your friends. They really just start to hyper-criticize everything that you do. Then it goes into the gaslighting stage. My mom one time grabbed a letter from Jill that came in the mail for John. He told her, oh no, that is a pen pal, but I wasn't in jail. And so he really turned around things. When my mom went to a lawyer with him, he gaslit my mom to think that all these restraining orders and whatnot were different John Meehan's. That's what gaslighting is, making someone think that their belief is your belief. The fifth is resigning control. By this stage of trauma bonding, you no longer know what to believe. Your only way of experience the good feelings of this stage is by trying to do things their way. Even though you don't really like the things that they're doing, now you're just agreeing to them because you don't want this person to get mad. You don't want to start a fight with this person. So now you're giving them the control when you should have an equal balance in that relationship. And then it goes into six, loss of self. At this stage, you lost who you were before. You don't know who you really are now. You're doing what they want. You do everything for them. You just want peace. You don't try to make any fights. You're highly agreeable. This is when my mom really was like, okay, you're fighting with my daughter. Fine. I'll just be with you. She would always try to sneak to see us, but she wouldn't tell him. At this stage is the addiction cycle. You're addicted to the highs and the lows of this relationship. You can't get out of it and you can't get unattached from it. My mom, for her to finally leave, it had to be where he was really showing that he was this bad guy and that she completely lost herself. She got cut off from the family at one point. 
she was addicted to this relationship in a sense, but she broke the cycle after two times, which is really not common. The common time for someone to leave an abusive relationship is seven times. And so my mom left him twice. Then he ended up coming after me and attacking me. I was actually able to kill him in self-defense. What really helped me in my attack is I was wearing rain boots, so I had more mass to kick. That's an advantage because you're using the largest bone in your body to fight back. So you're going to have more power there. I didn't hesitate. When you hesitate, that is when the perpetrator can grab the knife. So don't ever hesitate in harming someone if they're trying to harm you, especially if they brought the knife to the knife fight. Years before her stepfather attacked her, Tara also experienced PTSD when a previous romantic partner of her own hit her with his car. It was interesting because how I handled the situation with my ex I definitely got into fight mode. I did try to chase down my ex. I had a lot of adrenaline when that happened. But he wasn't technically my ex. He was this guy that I was in, this narcissistic, codependent relationship and actually never were boyfriend and girlfriend because he always would keep me in this loop of the trauma bond and have all these other girls around. So I wouldn't be his girlfriend. It was just a complicated, toxic relationship. And when he hit me with a car, I got into this other relationship. I was with that guy for five years. When that relationship ended, I went back to the guy that hit me with the car. It really gave me insight to how my mom could be with someone that was so bad. So I had empathy for my mom because of that relationship. I saw how someone could fall in love with someone that was so terrible. I'm so lucky to be here. I feel like a cat with nine lives, but I hated John where I felt like I loved my abuser. The guy that hit me with the car, if they would have done the same thing to me, I would have been dead where John, I had so much hate for him because I was an outsider looking in, seeing everything that he was doing to my mom. It really gave me the fight to defend myself. Healing after both, I tried to go the same way of healing after the accident happened and then after John attacked me. I met my ex-boyfriend right after I got hit with the car. We were actually working together. I went into work and I was just a little distraught and he could tell. So he would walk me to my car every single night when we worked together. I kind of just leaned on him as my safe person. And I didn't do any healing work then. I just got into this codependent relationship. After the attack, I wanted everybody else to think I was okay. You're looking around and you're like, wow, they're looking at me like I just need a lot of help. So I wanted to convince everybody else that I was okay because I didn't want to be perceived as this victim. I wanted to be considered as someone who didn't go through such a tragedy. I tried to do the things that I normally did. I went out and I partied with friends. I drank a lot. 
I also wouldn't drink some nights. I just wanted to be surrounded by people and I didn't want to be alone and sit with all my emotions and thoughts about what happened to me. So I really tried to party instead. At times I use alcohol to black out. Obviously what I was doing was very toxic, but I didn't want to see that during that time. Until it got to a place where I had a physical altercation with my sister, the cops were called, and it just brought me back to my attack. So I packed up my car and I went to Texas. I stayed with my other sister and got therapy twice a week. I got put into an EMDR therapy specialist, which is eye movement desensitization repetition therapy. It really helps you move through your trauma and stay in the present moment while connecting the dots more so to it. That really helped me. I was moving my body every day. I was going hiking, rock climbing. I was just in a, such a great place. I went through this healing process. I really felt like I got to the place where I was healed. My mom and my dad were like, okay, great. You should get a job now because they were financially supporting me. So I was like, okay, I got to be adult. I got to get a job. I came back to California to run my mom's silk plant business because I thought that would be the best way to make money. I did go to bartending school, but then I decided I didn't want to be a bartender because I didn't want weird men trying to grab me and stuff. I feel like that would be re-triggering to me. So I came back to California. I reconnected with all my friends. I went out to the bars. Someone grabbed me by the waist. That was how John grabbed me by the waist in my attack. And so I just freaked out. I didn't hurt him or anything, but I yelled at him for touching me. I had an issue with him. He was drunk. I complained about it on social media too. So I just got re-traumatized from that. Even though literally this guy was just grabbing me to move me, he wasn't grabbing me aggressively or anything, but I got re-triggered by that and I started having bad dreams again. I went back into EMDR therapy. It's just, you have to constantly work on your triggers and things that come up. Thank you, Kitsch, for sponsoring this episode. One of my favorite aspects of my self-care journey is learning about brand new techniques or products. In that vein, skincare and hair care have become two of my favorite self-love practices. That's why when I heard about Kitsch, I knew I had to check out their game-changing products. Launching in 2010, Kitsch is a self-funded, female-founded company that is now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Kitsch's goal is to offer skin and hair care products for any budget, and they really do have it all. Like their satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which are all vegan and cruelty-free. Or their heatless satin curling rollers, say bye-bye to heat damage. These are the original, the OG, and still the best heatless curlers. Don't settle for knockoffs, get the ones that started the craze. Personally, I had to try the pre-wash scalp oil with rosemary and biotin. It was an amazing, necessary addition to my self-care routine. Within one application, my scalp was infinitely less dry and itchy, 
And within a week, my hair has a softer, more refined, relaxed quality. I cannot wait to try the rest of their products. But right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash WCN. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash W-C-N. One more time, that's mykitsch.com forward slash W-C-N for 30% off your entire order. Dirty John started out with a series of articles in the LA Times accompanied by a podcast called Dirty John that was produced by Wondery that now has over 90 million listens. The podcast we didn't even know was going to be a podcast till a couple weeks beforehand. Christopher Gofford had recorded everything because he's a journalist. He has to have a file just in case someone comes at him and is like, I didn't say this. Everything needs to be recorded for a newspaper standpoint and for legality purposes. I was interviewed by Christopher Gofford. It was hours and hours on end. There was me telling him names, him really doing a lot of the research and putting everything together. However, I don't think he even knew himself that it was going to turn into that. It was a series of articles along with the podcast. They dropped at the same time. It was a lot to get thrown at that. It's very complicated because with the podcast, I had to take some time to be like, do I want to do this? I wanted to do it, but I didn't know anything about podcasts. I didn't know that it was public information. I just wanted to do it to help other women, help other people, and also to be like, hey, this happened. There's all these people that don't believe me. Basically, screw you. It happened. I'm going to tell my story and I'm not going to be shamed for it. I honestly prayed about it a lot, too, because I was very involved in the church during this time. And I was like, God wants me to tell my story. From there, we were on the Today Show, Dateline. We were on Evil Lives Here, which I believe, Amy, you were on as well. We were on the Kelly Clarkson Show, Dr. Phil, Access Hollywood, Tamara Hall Show. The list really does go on and on. We got invited on Dr. Oz. That was really fun. Then we got invited to do a live show. And that's when there was interest for the Dirty John series on Bravo. We met with the producer at the live show afterwards, had a drink at the top of the Ace Hotel. I was so excited because he had produced Wonder Woman and Suicide Squad. And I was a huge DC fan. So I was just starstruck in a way. I was like, of course, I want this person to do my project. We did have some involvement with this. I'm very gracious that they told the attack from more so my perspective. However, everything's dramatized and they don't want us to really be a part of the creative process. For legality, they have to change a lot of the stuff. They just didn't want us to be butting heads and making it our story. It was something that they wanted to create. It was just crazy and how those two things, they happen completely differently. 
I am thankful that they are out there and stuff. I'm thankful for the amount of women and people that have reached out to me and said that they have left their abuser because they heard the story. But it is very unpleasant that there's people that have gained so much money and success off of this. And I'm still very much struggling and may have been overdrafted this weekend. And it's like, I give everything to tell my story, yet there are people that profit off it. It was really interesting too, because it brought certain relationships back in my life. People see this idealized version of you on TV. You get re-traumatized by it all. You think your life is going to be glamorized because it's a TV show. You're out in the media and you feel that it's going to help women. You're not even prepared for the haters or anyone's nasty comments out there. Nothing prepares you for that. And I didn't really ask for this. I had a comment the other day saying, oh, you asked for this. Like, you should be prepared. You should know what to do. You shouldn't take offense to these comments. However, I'm a human being. I went through a major trauma. I had to fight for my life. If someone tells me, get over that comment, oh, you're a killer, it's going to affect me. My attack was in 2016. Dirty John, the podcast came out, but the Bravo TV series, it launched, I believe it was November 2018. So we're talking within two years of your trauma. That just sounds so overwhelming to me to be at the height of your healing. Yeah. I feel like movies have these actors play these parts, but these actors are so desensitized to this because it's just another acting role to them. You do get some people that have experienced this type of trauma and want to do the best role, but they have to think like, how do I not represent this person in a bad light? I don't think Julia Gardner presented me in a bad light or anything, so I'm not saying anything about her. But there have been people that have played real characters that they've had issues with them. Hence, Lenora Claire's company. We started a company where we have survivors go into productions and stuff and give our point of views. How do we prevent this from happening? Was there anybody in the media that really truly stood out as someone who told your story authentically and advocated for you in that process? Um, crickets. <laughs> as many times as my story has been told, I don't think that it's been to my standards because my standards would be me telling my story fully from me editing to producing it to my point of purpose. However, my story will never be told fully until I get my book out there. I appreciate people like Amy having me on, especially on such an ethical platform. And I appreciate Richard Suckle in the series when he really took my point of view of the attack. And I do appreciate people having me on to tell my story. However, I don't appreciate when people clickbait it or don't support me on this journey, or butcher it up to look bad. I think that it's important to show survivors in a great light, and always ask their permission. Not to shame Eva lives here, but going back to traumatizing, 
I had to look at pictures of John and I have this sense of like, I have to get through it. I have to give them the content they want. Looking at those photos was the most miserable thing that I've ever had to do on set. Looking at John's dead body, all these photos that I just didn't need to look at. It was so terrible. And guess what the title is? I Killed Dirty John. Then there was another one being like, do you think what she did was right? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? There's just so many people that have these stories. And talking to different survivors, I realize how lucky I am. I had my six-year survival anniversary. My body feels it. I'll be like, oh, what is today? Like, my body hurts so badly. And then I'll be like, oh, today's memory of a trauma day. The body keeps the score. It's just a day that I read in a sense, but I feel like I have to do good on that day and just turn it around into a positive. Every year for my survival, I try to partner with an organization. I either get people that have suffered from trauma, abusive relationship, or addiction. Doing the charity event is the way to do that, even though at the end of it, I'm going to probably ball my eyes out and just release, but it will be good because it's not my burden to carry. I need to let it out. This charity that I'm partnering with this year, Red Songbird Foundation, they specialize in addiction. They also help people that have suffered from trauma. So I really like them because they get to the root cause of everything and they really help heal these people. I have also worked with Laura Richards and my mom to get a law in California for coercive control. It is a standalone law, but we're hoping that it brings movement into California with people who are trying to get restraining orders because it is so hard to get a restraining order unless you have a mark on you. You could show them threatening messages, but you have to have a physical mark in a lot of incidences to get a restraining order. But now with this law, it hopefully helps. Women shouldn't be scared to go get a restraining order no matter what now. I really have learned that trauma is not linear. You can do things that help you, but it doesn't necessarily help other people through their journeys. And everybody has a different trauma. It's important to listen to them because it really does matter. I also try to pay attention to my body when it's calm, when it's in my rest and digest. We have a nervous system that automatically goes into these reactive states to protect us from attackers and predators. So we have these automatic nervous systems that reacts and goes into fight, fight, freeze, bond mode to react to these types of situations. It's really interesting. My body saved me in those circumstances. When I get triggered, my body goes into fight mode or flee mode or freeze mode sometimes. And I just have to realize, okay, my nervous system put me into this mode. How do I rewire it and how do I cope and get out of this? That is something that I've really focused on my healing journey, especially right now and bringing somatic awareness into my body and realizing when I get upset, where do I feel this in my body? Where do I feel the pain? Where do I feel the tightness? 
than loosening it up because your body holds on to that trauma. You're relaxing yourself to get into homeostasis. When you tense up and you hold on to that trauma in the body, you create health issues. It's really common to have health issues as a trauma survivor. Bringing ice to your chest is a great technique because it actually slows down the heart rate where you actually convince your body that you're safe in the sense. So your body's able to rest and digest a little bit faster. I do also a lot of yoga now. I love hot yoga. I love doing daily meditative exercises. There's a lot of science in that it helps you not be as reactive. I journal. I've done a lot of work in my healing. So I just tried a lot of things. The only thing that I haven't really tried is those pods that you go in. Floating is what it's called. I've heard a lot of great things about floating. I haven't personally tried it. If you suffer from depression, then I just think don't say no to something that might be good for you. You have to realize what your emotional bandwidth can hold. For me, it was, okay, I got stabbed. I went through all that. My emotional bandwidth can only handle my stuff. I had to get to a place healing. And then I was like, okay, I can open it and I can allow little by little in. But I also have to take note, how many clients can I take on a week? How many sessions can I do? How many times can I talk about my trauma? I have a new podcast with Call Your Landry called The Survivor Squad. It should be coming out soon. We are finishing up touches on a few things and bringing you survivor stories from their point of view. We have guests like Rita Isabel. Her brother was killed by Jeffrey Dahmer. We have Kelsey German. We have Eric Carter Landon, Margaret Cho. She was in a toxic relationship. She shares her story and her humor. I feel like everything is meant to happen when it's meant to happen. Of course, I always wished I was taught great coping mechanisms, but you can't choose the hand that you're dealt. I appreciate everything as it comes. I was supposed to be in that attack. I was supposed to take care of John. And this is now my journey and my dharma to spread this awareness. I want to know how you think your experiences have changed your trajectory. Oh my gosh, I'm basically going to (laughs) cry. I've never thought about this in so long. Before anything even happened to me with Dirty John, before my attack, I wanted to be a dog groomer. I wanted to own my dog kennel, have boarding, dog grooming there. It was working towards that goal of buying my own boarding facility. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have this family. And it's just weird because that's a completely different reality than what I am in. That dream actually will never happen because I have different dreams. Now I advocate for survivors I tell survivor stories on Survivor Squad, and we're really living with a purpose. It's great. Thank you so much for this. I love you. I wasn't expecting to get emotional. Then you fucking make me cry, Amy. In a good way. You know, it's cathartic. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. I would come into a room and people would go, oh, that's the Whispers, stares, glances. That story always led me into a room. And I didn't want that for me. I wanted to just destroy that narrative. Another thank you to Kitsch for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash WCN. That's 30% off anything and everything at M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash WCN. One more time, mykitsch.com forward slash WCN for 30% off your order. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.